0: hey everyone and thank you for joining me this evening i'm I'm glad that you made it you know i wasn't going to start this way but there was a a guy in the chat who said uh it was jonathan lewis he goes i gave up watching tv for lent and you know i think that we'd end up with a much better society if more people just didn't watch tv in general i I don't have cable at this point so i don't watch any tv but I, i think that especially like as you see like the gears of war turning and there are just so many different you know lies being told and we kind of get we get we figure it out like days later, right? That there's like some massive lie in in the media, and then you find out that, oh, that's actually not what happened at all. And in the case of the Ukraine Russia saga, we find that repeatedly with different video footage that's actually from video games or from some prior war um and that kind of thing, and from training exercises. And the trouble is that it's it's not just that they're wrong, it's that they, they peddle it. As truth, people accept that, and then they never actually hear the, 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 that, um, that, that changing later on, right? You never, they never hear the, um, the fix, so to speak. People give far more attention to, well, here's the, here's the next saga. Here's the next truth that isn't, and so on. All right, in any case, let's go ahead and move on, because I don't know if you know, because you ought to, because, you know, big tech's been reminding us, but this is Women's History Month. And it is such that Google, the, the big tech firm, probably the biggest tech firm, right, has been promoting this to, to make all the women differently, you know, feel good about themselves. Let me go ahead and show you what happens when you search for Women's History Month on Google using a desktop or laptop, right? It doesn't work on a phone, but otherwise, take a look at this, okay? So there you go. You got to search for it. I did this earlier, obviously. And look at that. Isn't that precious? Um, So you've got brilliant and resistant and all of this, and you you can even press a button at the bottom and you can get it to do it all over again. And I didn't know that I was resilient until Google told me so, because, you know, I'm female and as such, I kind of acquire these, these constant affirmations from big tech and different people to tell me that, you know, I can keep fighting the good fight. Um, you know, there's something just kind of uh, ought to be anti-woman about that. You know what I mean? Like, like if I were a guy, I wouldn't need a pat on the back from from big tech to tell me that I have value and that I'm resilient and that I can keep on fighting and so on. But, you know, being a woman... I need that a girl from the biggest tech company in the world because without that, like, where would I, where would I develop a sense of value and purpose and meaning in my life? I mean, that's the message that's actually being sent. That's what I hear, right? That's what I hear right as soon as a big tech does stuff like this, and they do it constantly, by the way. Um, and, and so I just kind of I see that, and I'm just kind of. Um, Appalled repeatedly by it, but so many women seem to actually enjoy it like like oh yes, of, of course it's a women 's history Month we need to we need to buy more stuff and we need to indulge these different companies like Amazon and like Google um, and basically any any major company in the United States right that decides to, to fly along with the latest saga, just like they do with you know Gay Pride Month, although in that particular case it's um, it's worse, like in the case of uh, of gay pride it's like they're actually celebrating. Um, homosexuality and different deviancies in addition to celebrating the fact they're proud they're proud of those deviancies and proud of that like sinful behavior so yeah and so in that case it's even worse but yes this is incredibly patronizing uh, or patronizing uh, which is the british variant of that word but yeah it's it's condescending to an extreme and you would think anybody would see. you would think that the people at google be like we can't put this out because it's like it's infantilizing, in fact, right? You look at that and you're like, they're talking to us like we're seven or eight years old. I mean, see let me just pull up again. I mean, seriously, look at this and how is it, how is it not uh, treating women as if they're children? I mean, that's exactly what it's doing all under this sort of auspices of, well, we're just, you know, we're helping those women out because they totally need it. Uh, it's crazy. It really is. Um, and thank you guys for the comments on the new background. I'm glad that you like it. I, I did spend a lot of time tweaking. It's not completely done. There'll probably be a lot of different stuff moving around in the background over the next uh, few weeks. I'm sure the plants will start dying because that's what they do under my care. I almost feel sociopathic when I'm going out to purchase plants. I'm like, which one of you wants to come home to die? You know, that's kind of how it is. And then, then they come home and then they, I get to see what they look like as they slowly brown. So, yeah, quite the green thumb I have um, Dan, let's see, Daniel Shalin says this, and I imagine you're talking about Google, looks like the emails I get as a kid for my birthday, right, exactly, those e-cards that they gave in the early 2000s, right, exactly, exactly, that's, that's, that's what I think of, too, hold on, okay, so, um, oh, but not wanting to be I mean, Google really wasn't quite as woke as they ought to be, because I don't know if you've looked around, but just the very term women is actually kind of um, well discriminatory in a sense. You know, by by modern standards, you shouldn't really use the term women, because it sounds kind of exclusionary, right, towards the people who think that they're women but who aren't. And that's what the Missouri University was um, recently blasted for saying, and History Month, because they were trying to to celebrate Women's History Month, but they're like, well, just, you know, can we really talk about women in that sense? Because it's kind of, it's kind of mean to trans people, and I-, I wish that I were kidding, but I'm not. Take a look at this, all right? This is, this is actually real, okay? This is at Northwest Missouri State University, uh, so a public university, and um, <laughs> to commemorate Womenix History Month, it used to be Womix, and now it's Wominix, according to them. History Month, Northwest will host a variety of activities throughout the month of March. The theme for this year's celebration is Providing Healing, Promoting Hope. And I don't know if you can see it, because it's kind of small on my screen, but over there, the, the big purple bubble says, Influential Womixons Awards. And I just have to ask, like, who gets included in those awards? Because I mean, I imagine it will be like so many of those, um, you know, a, award ceremonies now where it's like, well, we're supporting women as they, you know, wrestle and stuff. And you've got this guy who's there and it's it's the guy who won, but it's the guy who has lipstick on or something and we're supposed to all celebrate oh look look the woman won and and that kind of thing so it's like increasingly that there are no female awards because wherever the guy enters he wins and so we've completely just kind of lost any sense of female oriented awards and that's kind of ironic because it's like the the older school uh, feminists pushed so hard for there's this separation so they'd have like equal sports and all this sort of stuff so that they'd actually get some degree of representation right because it was acknowledged that women obviously can't compete in sports against guys um, because we have physical differences Uh, and women are are weaker than than men and it's not a controversial statement or at least it shouldn't be Uh, and yet here we are and it's like the sort of new-age feminists, who aren't TERFs, you know, the new-age feminists are like, no, 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 women are exactly like men to such a degree that they're interchangeable as men and women, and yet we still need to have awards, and so we just should kind of get rid of of everything. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but yeah, this, um, this tweet here from this university is actually real. They have since removed it because they fell under so much um, flack. But in any case, I mean this is this is the modern age in which we live and it's just kind of incredible and used to have actually let me just switch back for now uh used to have uh womxn which was the a couple of years ago i did some pieces some videos on this that was uh, w-o-m-x-n so that was just kind of then they just ditched that i don't know what exactly happened and you were supposed to pronounce that uh even though you had an X in place of the E. You were supposed to still pronounce it women. I didn't because, you know, um, being kind of old school, my version of phonics says that that's not how you say women. In fact, if you put an X in there, it's Womixen. So I just kind of go with that. Because then again, I I hear that phonics are kind of like white supremacy at this point. Isn't that the, that's correct, right? I'm pretty sure that's correct. In fact, we've seen these documents on, um, on white supremacy that have been released over the last couple of years, and you do see like the uh, that phonics is on that list, and I find that just hilarious in so many different overlapping ways. Um, uh, Daniel Sharlin, genuine question, if the woke believe women have always and still are oppressed by men, why do some of them choose to become women instead of staying men? Wouldn't they be safer as men? Well, yeah, and it's also get that kind of um, Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And the whole thing is just a farce. When you look at modern oppression of of women and so on, we don't find it in the Western world. We find it over in the Arab world. We find it in the Muslim world. But that's one of those topics that the modern left doesn't want to talk about. They want to pretend like that's not even an issue. It's like that's the area in which if you want to talk about the oppression of women, that's where it is culturally accepted, not here. Like you know, yes, domestic violence exists, but there isn't like a cultural acceptance of it as okay. Um, uh, women's history number one. They used to have their own sports in history. Exactly. Now, now no longer. So we can we can look back on those great times when women had their own sports, and and no longer do. Okay. <laughs> A uh, wireless customer says, "I love women, but I'm against Women's Month uh, and Black Month and Hispanic Month. It's all ridiculous. Um, I agree. I agree completely. I think it's ridiculous, and I think it's it's almost humiliating in a sense. It's like it's like they take these different groups that they think are incapable of, of existing by themselves, um, are are needy for attention or must be, and therefore need to just kind of get." get told that they matter and have value by corporate America. And it's painful uh, to watch. And I say that including during Women's History Month, despite the fact that I am, have always been and always will be female. Um, Despite that, I find it absolutely maddening, I do. Um, Okay, Uh, yes, I appreciate all the compliments on the new set. I'm, I'm very happy with it, despite the fact that there are things that will be moved around lots because I'm very indecisive, because I'm female. You know, that kind of goes with it, right? <laughs> okay, anyway, things I shouldn't say. Elsie says, it's rather insulting when you think about it. I think you're referring to the fact that they, they act like uh, women and need this whole this assurance, yes, it's extremely insulting. And I believe you're female too, if I remember correctly. So yes, it is. And whenever I see it, I'm just like, wow. So like with, the, like with the Google thing that we just mentioned a few minutes ago, it's like, oh, so now I can derive you know value from Google's judgment of me? Well, before then, I was having such an identity crisis, I didn't know what to do with myself. But, you know, thanks. <laughs> that, that's the way that I see it. Okay, anyway. Oh, oh, on, on the same or at least similar topic, um, NASA uh pledged to put a woman and a person of color, that that phrasing, obviously not mine, on the moon in 2025 or by then. Um I'm not sure why exactly, but we know what person of color means. It means non-white person. That that's exactly what it means. This was um in an article that I read over uh, on MSN and it specifically said, I'm just going to go ahead and quote for a second here. Quote, NASA made a pledge in April, 2021, that it would put a woman and a person of color on the, on the moon, a promise in line with U S president, Joe Biden's aims of advancing equality, unquote. And it goes on it goes, in fact, the only people to ever land on the moon have been white men. And I'm like, so, uh, and yes, for the purpose of this conversation, we're, we're assuming that they did land on the moon. Okay, before I, before that chat gets started, we're just going to go ahead and assume. Um, why, would, why do we need, like, black people on the moon? Why do we need women on the moon? Like, seriously, what is the benefit? It's exactly the same benefit as what we saw before, which was, you know, I matter so much in my individual ego that I need to see someone who looks exactly like me in this particular position. And without that, I don't know how I can, like, exist with myself. I don't know who thinks like this, except for this is the way that like our generation, like millennials and below, have been kind of raised with this ridiculous notion that we need to do this, that we need to sort of see ourselves in every position. It's like, you want a position, work for it. Earn it. Like We live in a, in a relatively meritocratic society, certainly more so than any society in the past, so if you want to be in a certain position, work for it, and let's not simply like choose people on the basis of those of what they look like so that some millennial or Gen Z or whatever can feel represented. Sorry, that's not how it works, that's not life, that's not how it should work. It's incredibly degrading and, of course, discriminatory. Because at that point you're saying, oh, so here's this white guy, presumably, you know, who's who's qualified or more qualified than the other candidates, but you know what? We're not going to choose him because he doesn't have any sort of value whatsoever, right? He, he simply um, is, a, is a lesser being, a second-class citizen, if you will, in the modern society that we're creating that has so much value and decency and morality that it decides to exclude this one class of people on the basis of their immutable characteristics and pat itself on the back as a collective and say, you know what, those people actually don't matter, so in the interest of not being discriminatory, let's go ahead and only choose black people. That that doesn't work. It, It doesn't make sense. It's not intellectually consistent, it's not moral, it's not decent, and yet we're told that we have to act in this indecent way in order to be moral. That's because our society is so incredibly perverse at this point in time. Um. Let's see. Uh, actually, Sarah, I think we're becoming less meritocratic than we have in the recent past. Well, with things like this, we certainly are. Um, I mean, that's that is changing in the in regard. In, in the worst regard, right? We're moving certainly away from that. And I, that's why I keep pointing out these cases because I think that we, we still have a relatively meritocratic society. Um, and certainly in the last, like, I don't know, especially five, maybe 10 years, we've been kind of moving away from that as we seek to create, and by we, I don't mean you and me, um, but as there's a concerted effort to create a society that none of us would really want to live in. Um, and at this point, like, what's, what's NASA gonna do? They're going to hunt for non-whites. Like Yes, quite literally, that's what they're talking about doing because they're searching for women and people of colour. So non-whites. They're hunting for people on the basis of these characteristics. And it's like, whenever they try to fix these uh, disparities that they see, it's never for something else, right? You know what I mean? Like, um, it's never for a more normal position or job where there is some kind of disparity. Like, there's no concerted effort to get women to work in construction. None. And yet, when you drive by construction sites, you see you see so many men there, and yet there's no push to fix that. And it's like, well, okay, well, doesn't the fact that there is this uh, disparity between men and women imply that there's a sort of persecution in place? No, it doesn't. And, 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 <laughs> Of course. However, if you were to accept the modern leftist notion that any sort of disparity is the result of some kind of oppression, then you have to accept that, in fact, when you drive by a construction site and you see all these different men, it's clearly the result of some kind of institutional, you know, decision that was made to marginalize women and say, you can't be there. Because that's what we we see when we look at, say, you know, into the tech field, for example, right? Um, I would not want to work in the tech field. Not because I'm not good at it, but because it's an isolating job with long hours, and I like to deal with people, and that's kind of, and I'm a passionate person, and there's no passion in coding. Um, And in general, women don't. Find value in that kind of a career. In general, women don't want to work in that field. That doesn't mean that all women don't, but it does explain some degree of disparity between men and women in tech. And yet, instead, there's this sort of concerted push. They say, no, actually, we need women to work at Google and PayPal and all these different companies. And it's like, well, what if women don't want to? What if we push them in those positions and then they get these, you know, they get high-paying jobs because Google and so on are giving out massive uh, bonuses to try and beef up their female numbers and so on. And for what? Why push people into a position in which they may not be happy? Is it so difficult for us to believe that there might be differences between the genders, not just physically, as we were talking about earlier, but also uh, mentally as well, at least in, in in general terms? You know, in general, certain women have more proclivity towards certain things, and in general, men have a proclivity, to, proclivity towards certain things. I, I don't think that's... Um, Oh, I don't think it should be, a controversial statement, and yet, uh, here we are, and I know there are some people who would just want to scream at listening to this. Um, yeah, I would be miserable in tech, uh, and yet, there are people who are like, no, you need to get a STEM job. Like, I wouldn't want one. Sorry. Um, you know, there's, there's certain types of people who are pushed into certain things, and, you know, gender does play some something of a role in that. It's not an absolute there are plenty of exceptions. However, when, you, when, you're, when you're making grandiose judgments on the basis of simply disparity of outcome, right, which is what we're talking about, is, is oh, you only had white men who landed on the moon, for example, disparity of outcome. Okay? So like maybe there wasn't some woman who was equally qualified who wanted to land on the moon. Um, is, is that possible? Is it possible that when you look at the construction site, there aren't that many women who are applying. Of course that's the case. Is it possible that when you look at the, um, the gender breakdown inside of big tech, that simply not as many women are interested in working in that kind of environment as men are? Of course. And yep, here we are. Um, LC says absolutely women want less physically taxing jobs because they want to go home and take care of their families. Housework, cooking, and nurturing takes some stamina. Yeah, and you know we've been sold this kind of idea that women will somehow be so much happier living and working in a cubicle for some employer that doesn't really care about her at all, and that should be somehow miserable if she stays at home and you know takes care of her husband and the kids, who you know both of which who who love and care about her. And it's just a lie that we're telling these women. And I think it's kind of tragic in our modern society the way we kind of like send this message to young girls. Um, in a compensatory effort, we send this message that it's like, oh, if you want to be happy, you have to abandon any hopes and dreams that you might have of raising, you know, kids and living with a husband and all of that, and instead, we'll push you toward this career in math somehow, right? You should get an engineering degree. It's like, well, okay, like, some women might want that, but plenty don't, and plenty wouldn't, and I, I reject the notion that we're doing them a favor by pushing them in a direction which they would not normally go, uh, in order to, to to just simply fix this disparity of outcome, um, we get love in return exactly. Uh, Kramer says the destruction of the family unit has been going on for a long time. Yes, it has, and I think it kind of it, it's sort of the the crucial thing that holds society apart. I think when you have the breakdown of the family unit, everything else just kind of uh, falls apart thereafter. right so as long as you you don't have that that family unit as a sort of foundation of society we're going to start having breakdowns everywhere else you should have the family unit then you should have your small local community and then further out you should care about those and that's the way that it was always supposed to be it wasn't supposed to be like this at all um Ron DeLay says, really wish you'd do short vids five to seven minutes long. Yeah, I do intend to get back to that, actually. Hopefully this week, because now that I actually have this thing set up so that I so that I can. And you'll notice that the quality is much higher, because we were streaming at 720, because I have had a combination problem of uh, resource usage, computer resource usage, um, and also internet speed. And now both of those uh, have been eliminated, which is amazing. So this is like I was still working on, on, on this stuff yesterday. So, this is actually the first day that I've been able to um, present you with the, a, a decent set and everything. So, I'm really kind of glad. I do intend to kind of move my focus toward the mini, mini vids and then keep these as more social occasions where I'm just chatting with you guys mostly um, about whatever, you know, hit topics are of the day, so to speak. But I do want to make the smaller shows the, the kind of priority as they used to be, because I think they there is more value in those as far as just how much you can share uh, with your friends and allow me to make the point that you want to make and that kind of thing and spend real time on individual issues and breaking them down and so on. And, you know, provide editing to put in different media, like I, again, uh, like used to be done. And yes, no more curtains, which is, which is the important thing, right? I mean, I know you were thinking about all the different, you know, changes that we've had, but let's be honest, it's the, it's the lack of curtains which is the best part. At least for me, I'm just like, those curtains are gone, you know, we can have the dying plants, because they will die. But they'll just be replaced, you know, they'll, they'll, start, they'll start getting, like, a little bit brown, and then suddenly they'll just, be, they'll just disappear, and you'll wonder, like, what happened to them? It's like, yeah, yeah, that, that's, you know what happened to them. <laughs> I'm just giving you a heads up. Um... WW said, I love those curtains. Well, I hated those curtains, so I'm glad they're gone. Okay. Um, I don't want to spend an answer to the question about Ukraine and Russia. Um, I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about that tonight, in, in, in large part because I don't really feel qualified in the sense that I don't think we're getting accurate information. And because of that, The information is kind of second-hand through the mainstream media. There's just so many lies at the moment that discussing it in a a live manner doesn't seem responsible of me. Like, I I try to do better than that. I know there are so many people who became an expert in the Ukraine saga overnight and then, you know, want to flood the internet with all of their different opinions, which are largely on the basis of things that aren't true. I don't want to be part of the problem uh, with that no i don't think we're about to st- about to go nuclear though i will say that much okay uh one remedy is to get fake plants yeah i'm not getting fake plants um i'll get i'll get live ones and then i'll just you know fade them out <laughs> every once in a while but these are all actually plants that are supposed to be really uh n- easy to neglect like you can neglect them and then they'll survive um supposedly we shall see because I can I can really kind of push that limit. All right. anyway, I'm gonna move on because I you know um, I do appreciate the chat, but I'm going to go to a couple of different topics that I did want to uh, draw your eye to, all right. So talking schools. Uh, the Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology is an elite governor's school in Virginia's public school system. It's a STEM high school, is what I was talking about. It requires an entrance exam. Um, so it's just kind of like a, well, you know, a, a, a school meant for, you might say, gifted kids or kids who are studying particularly hard and so on. And because of that, the the testing that comes before entry consistently resulted in a higher percentage of Asian students, resulting in about a 72% Asian class for the 2020 to 2021 uh, school year. And because of that, and also a minority of black students, and because of that, the far left decided to fix it with racial quotas. And so what they did was they doused this whole admissions program with terms like equity and social justice, a while being discriminatory, most especially against Asians, and basically trying to make it very difficult if you were Asian, specifically, from getting into this school. And it's like, okay, well, the Asians were... American citizens, they had every right to get in there, they're, they're, they're doing the work, they're by merit, they earned their spot, it's a public school, it's, you know, funded by government, there is no reason that they should be, and the, the, what has come to light uh, through a lawsuit is actual internal emails saying things like, and I quote, increasing diversity through redefining merit, end quote. Does that not sound like super Orwellian? <laughs> Again, that was increasing diversity through redefining merit. In other words, right? Um we're redefining merit so that it's not merit at all. Like we're just we're just gonna change the term entirely. That's what we're gonna do from here out. And that's the and so this this school actually Literally did this, made it very difficult for Asian students to get in. Tried to make it easier for Black students to get in, but did so on, on the basis not of hey, you came from this like poor neighborhood or or that kind of thing, but no, literally they chose it on the basis of race. And U.S. District Judge Claude Hilton ruled that they have to fix it; that this is actually illegal. And as it should be, right? I mean, this is a public school, government funded, and so on. It's not even like some private institution where they um, where they. Sh- more morally would be able to make their own determinations. This is like your tax money uh, doing it on the basis of merit is the only reasonable way to do it. but yeah, they want to make they want to redefine merit to what what skin color you 're born with exactly and the thing is what, what baffles me is the way that the people who come up with this kind of scheme do so while moralizing this immorality right So they take this thing where they 're like, well, these students don 't really matter because they're the wrong race so like never mind all of their hopes and dreams never mind how much they worked or or simply you know their, their enhanced abilities in this particular area or any of that let's just throw that away and say they don't matter and they don't have value and then we'll actually pat ourselves on the back because we're helping some other group and therefore we're being and this is like the the modern leftist way of thinking like this is not an abnormal thing by any stretch uh, I think it has been something that they've tried to sort of downplay and pretend isn't the case um, there have been a lot of different lawsuits especially in, in university not so much in high school in high school it's actually kind of unusual for this sort of thing to be um, uh, top secret best discriminatory against white people too well yeah absolutely um, because they were trying to basically elevate the number of black students that were getting into the school who had the, the lowest amount and and the the number of Kids who got into the school did not match the community surrounding, right? So if you had you know a certain percentage um, of each race who lived in that community, well, that was not accurately um, mirrored in the number of people and the racial makeups of the people who actually got into the school. And I don't find that particularly surprising because there are disparities amongst you know races in their different. Uh, proclivities and so on. Everyone knows this, of course, and the Asian thing is perhaps most illustrative of it, but I'm not surprised. I don't think the solution is, hey, let's start discriminating against people on the basis of how they were born and say they don't have value and therefore shouldn't get an elite education because, hey, we have too many of your kind here. And that's exactly what they're doing in this school and then patting themselves on the back and saying, oh, you know, aren't we awesome? hold on, let me get a drink. Um, Krista Espreval says, when these students have to go and face the free market, they will note the natural selection that goes on in there anyway. Well, yes. Yes. And that is true. uh, That, you know, the real world is more meritocratic. Now, don't get me wrong, that's actually changing as well. And that's a really disturbing thing that when you look at Different corporations, they're trying to get more people who are non-white, and I've covered this before in relation to, uh, Novant Health uh, did this in regards to they, they fired a guy and hired two women, one of whom was black, in his place in order to fix their diversity requirements. Um, that's you know just one case, but if you look over at big tech, they're constantly trying to um, increase their diversity by hiring people who they wouldn't otherwise hire. Because that's, that's the thing, isn't it? It's not that they're just hiring people who happen to be these different races. They're specifically seeking people out, and in so doing, excluding other people who are equally qualified or more qualified on the basis of race. And then we're like applauding ourselves or they're applauding their selves because of this. Then you've got things like NASDAQ, right? That's the big stock exchange. Um, that has re- certain requirements as to how many of certain groups ought to be on their board of directors, including some people who aren't white. And if I remember correctly, also somebody who's LGBTQ plus, uh, whatever we're calling that now, but seriously, some kind of degenerate, um, that they want on their board as well. So that's, that's the way that they're kind of making it. Um, they're kind of eliminating the meritocratic part of the private sector as well. And that is that is changing, especially amongst the, the bigger corporations. Um, uh, in answer to your question about the Supreme Court nominee, I will get to that in just a little bit. Um, uh, tech companies hire boatloads of, of Indians. Well, yes, they do. And, and Perhaps at some point I ought to talk about the way their visa system works, to, or the way our visa system works, rather to sort of incentivize that above American citizens. I do think it's, it, it's a real problem. Um, okay, let's talk about England for a minute. Uh, I know it's been a while since I've done that, and I know that you know, we, we do actually have something of a British audience, which is kind of amazing, considering that I do this at 10 at night, which is like 3 their time. But anyway, uh, there's a new British law. It's called the Online Safety Bill. And so we're kind of watching as free speech gets further and further eroded over in England. And this is important because it ends up getting um, mirrored in places like Canada and also in in places like America eventually. So the the latest bill, the online safety bill, uh, wants to put trolls in prison for up to two years, which is... Obviously, extreme. So, offenses were added to the legislation, which would include pylons. So, it would be illegal, like literally criminal, for users online to band together to troll someone on social media, including to ratio them or that kind of thing, to make them feel bad, to cause them psychological harm. It's like, well, if you're on the internet, you're going to be exposed to other people, and sometimes people aren't nice that's the way it happens certainly when you put people in groups sometimes they're not nice but criminal really uh that seems like a stretch in fact it seems like a a basic infringement on people's uh on people's rights and that's exactly what it actually is the bill will also criminal criminalize sorry sharing a knowingly false communication in order to Emotionally, psychologically, or physically harm the likely audience. Now, you might be saying, "Okay, well, what's going on there?" Right? Um, well, what's going on there is, by example, they listed anti-vaxxers. So, so it will criminalize. And by the way, um, anti-vaxxers aren't engaging in knowingly false communication. You can argue, right? And we can have the discussion that you know, that there's false communication happening. From the government's perspective, there is false communication happening. But it's, it's quite something different to say that it's knowingly false communication. I mean, at what point did we discern that people who have questions about vaccine safety are doing so while knowing that there aren't any questions? I mean, it doesn't even make sense. For what, on what basis would people spend their time expressing these concerns that they actually didn't have, because um, that, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But that's what they're saying. They're basically setting up a legal system so that they can crack down on anybody who disagrees with what they say is the truth, and then they want you to come in and say, well, you know, this person peddled knowingly false communication. Well, how is it knowingly false? Like, if I, if I say something that the government thinks is false, okay, fine. But then you've taken the government, the government is going to then assert that I knew that it was false when saying so. And on what basis are they going to determine that? That's my question. Because at that point they're, what, reading my mind? Or they're just telling me that I should read theirs, and that I should accept whatever it is that the government says as truth to such a degree that I should therefore know that I'm peddling a false communication the moment that I disagree with the government. And that's what they're really talking about, that's what they're doing here. They're changing the entire narrative such that if you say anything that is, false, that is false by their standards, whether or not it's true, that you do so knowingly and that it's criminal. And this is all part of the uh, the Boris Johnson administration, right? So um, that's the, the so-called conservative party leader, which is... I mean, it's always more disturbing when you've got people doing it who are supposedly on our side. And yes, I realize that the two-party system in every country and they don't entirely have a two-party system but you know um it's not like they've had a third party um dominate so um, i'm gonna go ahead and call it a two-party system even though the brits will call me out on it um so it's fine but um if you look in, in canada their system right they've got the conservatives as well um having what I mean, the Conservatives in Canada are absolutely atrocious. They're they're almost as bad as the left, and the left is so far left, um, right. And then you come over here into the United States, and we have less of a problem um, than Canada or or the UK. But still, can you can you just check the box next to R for Republican? Does that actually work? Do do the people who say that they care about your Freedoms and rights at election time. Do they do they still care when it comes to uh, the way that they legislate? No, uh, I think it's pretty clear that that's the case. So we really do have a problem there. Um, and when you going back to the British issue again, though, um, the bill would enable the government to levy heavy fines against social media companies that fail to police speech to the satisfaction of the British state. So that's actually interesting. So basically, they're going to take companies like Google and Twitter and so on and make them into the enforcement body. And if they fail to be the enforcement body, despite being a private company, um, the British government will levy them with huge fines. And this has been kind of an enduring problem for big tech. And if I were one of those companies, I simply wouldn't have a base of operations in, in the UK or frankly in Europe either. I wouldn't. Because at that point, it's like, okay, well, the British government can scream all they want. But they have no enforcement in a British court as long as I don't have a bank account over there I don't run any business over there. Um, that's the way that I'd handle it. But these like, uh, leftist companies like Google and like Twitter and Facebook and so on, they kind of virtue signal by having all these different offices in different countries and they brag about that and they see that as a feature and it's like, yeah, it's a feature until the government comes along and says, actually, you can't say this thing. Um, or even, you can't allow your users to say this thing on your platform. Right. And that's why like, I think Gab has only like US-based servers, because in every other country, there are these different restrictions on speech that are far more stringent than what you've got here in the United States. Um, Wakefield Tolbert says, psychologically harm. Wow, that's very, interpre- very open to, an inter- to interpretation in a culture triggered by truck horns and insistence on calling female humans women. We're mixing. We're going with we're mixing tonight, Wakefield um but yes the, the presumption that you can cause psychological harm is kind of vague because yes um you can cause psychological harm i guess with any manner of things it depends on just how um fragile and i don't mean, i don't mean that in a negative way i just mean quite literally how, how emotionally fragile an individual is who is receiving it do i think that the law needs to come in and and, and figure out what that person was feeling on the other end and what the person was feeling who was sending it and and what kind of damage is going to be done. I mean, no, that, that the, the fix, is disastrous and dangerous. Um, Deus Ex Machina says, after this law passes, going to a comedy club will be like going to a funeral. Well, it's pretty bad now. I think if you go to a comedy club, especially in England, it's like <laughs> I, I can't imagine being a comedian over there. I mean, there was the uh, the Scottish guy. I can't remember what his what his name is at the moment for some reason. But the one who made his, his dog do a Z Kyle and all of that. And he got charged and, uh, I mean, he just went through hell with just one thing after another. And he was like, no, it's a, it's a joke. You don't understand. And did he get anywhere with that? No, because they said it was... The, the judge said that he didn't find it funny. It's like... It, 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 it's Yeah, exactly. And that's what you end up with in places like, like the UK, which, you know... Includes Scotland. All right, hold on. Um, Richard Toad says, they're using big tech to to control us. They must have shrunk Zuckerberg's head. Uh, Yeah, they are using big tech as their sort of enforcement arm. And you actually see that to some degree here in the U.S. too. But it's for a different reason here in the U.S. They do it here. Well, you have things like um, Jen Psaki, right, the press secretary, and she came out and started to criticize uh, Twitter for not doing enough uh, about misinformation, and also Spotify, I remember that. Um, that's, it's not legal pressure because they can't put legal pressure uh, on them because the First Amendment actually exists here. But it, they are starting to sort of, like, you know, push somewhat on these companies and in this in a backhanded way they do have some pressure or some ability to put pressure because the government in many ways funds our big tech companies and that's one of those secrets that people don't like to talk about but it's like no actually with these different um, we incentivize uh, the companies to different to comply in different ways to provide data to the government and then they get paid by the government for the release of data uh, and if you look through their privacy policies now, all these different big tech companies, are like, well, we can provide, we can comply with requests by different law enforcement bodies and government bodies with or without a warrant at our discretion. We'll just do what we want. And you either tolerate it or you don't. Nobody reads those policies, of course, and people increasingly feel reliant upon these different companies. But they actually ended up getting, they end up getting handouts by the government for their for their efforts in complying with these requests. And so it, you know down the line what ends up happening is the taxpayer is funding uh, these big tech companies that then go out and they you know stomp on people's rights and prevent them from speaking freely and all that sort of stuff um anyway uh let's see uh one guy says i subscribe to this message and to this channel keep rocking sarah uh thank you thank you i do appreciate it uh, let me kind of... Yes, Count Dankula was the Scottish guy that I was talking about. Um, thank you for that. Yes, that's exactly who I was talking about. Okay. How can you not remember a name like that? I know. Exactly. But anyway, going back to this British bill one last time, though, the I do want to talk about the fact that in, in Britain, they've gone kind of a step further than uh, we have even considered going. By creating these databases, these hate speech databases quite literally. This is something that's been happening under the Boris Johnson uh, administration, and these databases are filled with non-crime hate incidents. You can look that up if you want. Non-crime hate incidents. Um, they're inside of these criminal databases, despite being non-crimes, meaning that such offenses then get become visible on background checks, despite the person who perpetrated the hate speech, supposedly, not having committed an actual crime even by, you know, English standards. And then, because there is no crime that they've committed, they don't have the opportunity to fight an accusation against them. They they don't have the opportunity to, you know, to get found um, not guilty, to get found innocent, to fight their case before a jury of their peers. Instead, What you have is a situation in which these people are being discriminated against in areas like employment, because who'd want to hire the bigot and the troublemaker and the person who's causing problems online and just offending people, uh, sorry, offending people. Um, There's that kind of thing. There's also difficulty in things like housing, where they do background checks and they make decisions on the basis of this stuff. Like Seriously, the background check thing is a big deal, and they're making these databases Uh, basically, of people who might be a problem in some way. You can really kind of extrapolate just where the government wants to go with this. But, you know, they're making literal databases of people who have not committed crimes, but simply have said things that the government or the police don't want them to say. And then those things come up and and kind of haunt these people. And most likely, it's going to get worse over time. Um, I, I really do think so. But um, that is—I mean—that is pretty um, Orwellian, right there, and that's over there in Britain, happening right now. That people will have that—that that problem. Um, thank you, JP. I appreciate that. It's uh, been a long time coming. Okay. Um, hold on. Okay, let's come back to the U.S. for a minute, as far as um, what we're talking about, because there is a a sort of national vaccine pass system that's sort of rolling out throughout the United States. But because it's not a federal vaccine database, there are a few people paying attention to it. Um, it has, it's more of a privately owned one that a lot of different states are, are getting in on. It's called the Smart Health Card and it's in 21 states in addition to DC. I believe I have something for this, there we go. So you can see the states um, right there. And this ought to disturb us because I mean, It wasn't that long ago that we were all kind of opposed to these central databases, right? Uh, uh, With your healthcare data and the government tracking you and and private corporations even tracking you. And according to Forbes, um, Forbes described it as a, quote, verifiable digital proof of vaccination developed through the Vaccination Credential Initiative, a global coalition of public and private stakeholders, including Microsoft, Salesforce, Oracle, the Mayo Clinic and other health and tech heavyweights, unquote. Doesn't that make you like feel warm inside? Because it does me. You know, like groups like the Mayo Clinic, which I believe is one of the different clinics that refused to um, do an organ donation or organ transplant, rather, from somebody who hadn't had the vaccine. They were like, no, instead you should die. Um, that was the, the kind of moral. And then there's, of course, Microsoft and, of course, the Bill Gates connection to that. So I don't know how comfortable you guys are feeling with this little system. Me, not so much. And when you're talking about these, how this works, I mean, often it's a QR code system. It reminds me, I've got a friend in Canada um, who's a fan of the show, and he works as... Let me go ahead and turn this off. He works as a coach uh, guy, right? So he's, like, transporting people around. And at one point, he was telling me how he was transporting this group of... I think it was girls' basketball team. And he was driving them from one place... Uh, the next to go and compete and at one point they stopped for breakfast at a place over there and the girls who did not have the vaccine pass which were on their phones through a QR code that had to be scanned, uh, those who didn't have that weren't able to eat breakfast that morning and there is something seriously dark and just absolutely messed up about that and that's not the way that I want to go. Um, I don't think we should want our society to go that way and and he was in a really difficult position because it's like he's just a driver who's driving these these girls to go get a breakfast and suddenly you know they he had to deal with this thing of well who's got who's got the QR code on her phone to see whether or not she gets to eat that's that's evil, and that's the way that it is and the, the reason they're using this QR code system and then it gets scanned and then looked up in this like government database so you can't just easily fake it like you can with you know a, a paper card and that's the reason they want to switch to these different systems is so that they can from a central location make sure and double check that you're you're fully compliant and that you're not faking it heaven forbid you want to make your own decisions about your own healthcare. um and every Canadian province has apparently adopted the smart health code verification. That's what they're calling it. Whenever you hear the, the word smart in the modern age, I always cringe. I'm expecting something that's very not smart. Um, but, but, you know. Oh, and then there was um, and some red states are like really going along with this, which is uh, disturbing. But, I mean, maybe it shouldn't be because of the way Trump has been on the vaccine. But uh, South Carolina's director of immunizations was talking to Politico and said, quote, this isn't a passport. This is essentially a COVID card that people get at their convenience because it's their record, unquote. Um, and I'm like, define passport exactly. You know what I mean? Because it's like, what I hear is, this isn't a passport, but it's a passport. That's what it sounds like to me. She's like, well, it's not a passport. It's it's just like that card that you get with your, with your immunization records on it. It's like, well, yeah, that's kind of the whole point is, they're creating a system where people are required to show their medical records to do basic things. And I don't think any of us want that. And they're actually, you know, they're, they're promoting this as some way to live, some way that we could kind of have this futuristic society. I don't want that. And honestly, you know, they're starting out with this immunization uh, thing in regards to COVID. But why, why wouldn't that expand to everything else? Like, it doesn't even matter what you think of the vaccine, that particular vaccine, for the sake of this particular conversation. It doesn't. Like, why wouldn't it include all of your vaccine records? Did you get that measles booster shot? How about the shingles, right? Why not all of your health records? There are features, you know. You can go to all different, you know, health uh, places and different medical offices, and they can get all of your data all at once. It's where they used to peddle it, right? And people rejected it and said, we don't want these central databases. And now here we are, and they're already introducing it and saying, no, society needs it. It's not for you, it's for the greater good. And therefore, you have to sacrifice your own autonomy um, for this." That's that's the way they've been rolling it out. And sad to say, so many people have kind of gone along with it. Um, in New Zealand, I did see that there was um, the there was a lawsuit challenging the vaccine mandate for police and the defense forces. And the lawsuit won, meaning that the police are no longer required to get it, but apparently like the vast majority, of course, already went ahead. Um, the, the justice in that particular case, uh, Francis Cook said that ordering police officers and defense staff to be vaccinated or face losing their job is not a reasonably justified breach of the Bill of Rights. And again, this is in New Zealand, their Bill of Rights. And I'm like, I hate that phrase. It's not a reasonably justified breach of the Bill of Rights. Like, for me, I'm just thinking it's the Bill of Rights, not the Bill of whenever the judge decides that they're needed, you know? <laughs> so that I kind of like, I thought about that and I'm like, I'm not really sure I like where he's going with this, even though he technically ruled the right way. Um, The the whole entire mantra set up there is is really uh, not a good sign for the future. And the particular lawsuit that we're talking about relied on two aspects of their Bill of Rights. The right to decline a medical procedure and the right to religious freedom. And religious freedom was about the fact they were pushing the Pfizer vaccine. And the one of the main rejections of the Pfizer vaccine was given that it was tested on the cells that were derived from aborted human fetuses. Um, but then the, the same justice, uh, or whatever, judge, but they're calling him a justice, Francis Cook said, quote, I do not accept that a belief in an individual's bodily integrity and personal autonomy is a religious belief or practice, unquote. And so he basically tossed out the religious argument. Okay, so... And a person's, according to this guy, a person's individual bodily integrity and personal autonomy are not part of a religious belief. I mean, to me that actually seems bizarre and, and even shocking because it's like, no, that's actually pretty intrinsic that an individual does have bodily integrity and personal autonomy and value and was made in the image and likeness of God and that God is greater than government. You know, I don't think I'm even going anywhere near the edges of what should be considered controversial in this particular point. Um, and yet, this is this judge who was like, "No, that, that 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 doesn't that doesn't matter. That doesn't count." Okay, well, we're getting close to the hours. I'm going to go ahead and talk about the uh, Supreme Court nominee. Um, who who was chosen? because she's not white and she's female, right? It's not me saying it, it's them saying it. Now, because it seems like while everyone is distracted by the Russia-Ukraine saga, the American left are busy waging war right here at home. So this judge, uh, Katenji Brown Jackson, who is right there... That should have popped up. Yeah, it did. Good. Um, ...will be replacing Justice Stephen Breyer, who was a leftist, right? So, uh, speaking bluntly, it really won't change things very much, even though this woman is very leftist. Despite that, so was Stephen Breyer, so I'm not really expecting a whole a whole lot of change in that regard. Some people just kind of breathe a sigh of relief after that. I mean, it would have been nice to, of course, get somebody who... Um, was decent cared about the Constitution, anything like that, but that's not where we are. The Supreme Court of the United States blog, the official blog that's you know that they put on their website, is the one that made the claim uh, or one of those that made the claim that she was chosen because she was a black woman uh so it's not again it, it's not me saying it that because she's a black woman she was chosen because she was a black woman um, but rather they're bragging about it. The Scotus blog said and I quote President Biden is nominating Judge Katanji Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court, making good on a c- campaign promise to pick the first black woman for the nation's highest court, unquote. That is her characteristic. That's it. That's the reason that she was chosen. And we're supposed to feel good about that instead of appalled. And it's like, can you imagine this, right? Imagine President Trump gets in and they're like, like, okay so president trump wants to choose a straight white man for his nominee for his nominee and he's following up on that with his you know he's he's making good on that campaign promise and for that reason this is his pick Uh, can you imagine people just be like so blown away and shocked um but that's what this is it's literally that it's biden promised that he would put someone in who was a black woman, and then he's like, okay, found one. She fits the bill, so to speak. Um, JP says, if she was a conservative, she wouldn't be black, according to Biden. That's right, because, yeah, if you don't vote for Biden, you're not black. Exactly. And according to, again, the Supreme Court uh, blog, they were describing her past accomplishments, I guess, And they, in so doing, they kind of described her and they said, quote, Jackson's clients have included the Women's Bar Association of Massachusetts, the League of Women Voters, the Abortion Access Project of Massachusetts, and narrow pro-choice America. Do you hear a pattern here? Because I hear, I'm a woman, hear me roar, yay. And also, you know, go abortion uh, at the same time. So, What we have so far is she's black she's a woman she's also a woman and she's a woman and she's pro-abortion and she's a woman i think i've got everything so so now we know why she's chosen all right she also repeatedly ruled against the trump administration and i I imagine that's why perhaps she was chosen above the other black women who might have been potentials because again it's a pretty small, you know, group of people who he was choosing, Who is choosing between, of course, because he just kind of decided beforehand that, that these are the characteristics that she has to have. So um, <laughs> uh, so, so, we've got the small sample size. And then after that, they found the one that constantly ruled against the Trump administration when Trump was in office, such as by forcing people to testify in the whole Russia collusion uh, conspiracy theory thing and all of that. Um, so at the same time, you know, it's like she, she fit that extra that extra check mark, and that's why her instead of one of the others. And this is, of course, the point in time where the leftist media pretends like, oh, this is a moderate, you know, candidate. This is what they always do. Like when it's somebody who's on the left um, and it's a Supreme Court nominee, it's always, well, this is actually a really moderate candidate, so everybody should want to vote for her, you know. Uh, and they do this every time, and then it's like you get somebody – who isn't even that right, like Kavanaugh. And they're like, no, he's he's a white supremacist who was probably in the Klan, you know? <laughs> and, and they do this it was every time. And I've already began to see these different articles about just how moderate this woman is, and it's like, no. Uh, no, she's not. Um, but again, uh, you may not care that much simply because she's, she's replacing somebody who already was voting very consistently uh, to the left on every issue. Um... Uh, Harry says she has to be predictable in how she would impartially administer justice on the highest court in the land. I do regret the fact that nowadays we can't simply have Supreme Court justices who care about the Bill of Rights, who care about the Constitution, and just want to enforce it. Like, now it's such a partisan issue, and everybody loses when we have a super-partisan Supreme Court. But then you look at the, uh, the modern left... And their entire sort of ethos is built around the abolition of of our individual rights and the desire to sort of change the Bill of Rights, especially the first two, right? Um, getting rid of freedom of religion, getting rid of freedom of speech, getting rid of freedom of the press when it pertains to you know smaller press, most especially, uh, getting rid of your right to bear arms. Uh, these are the things that they keep trying to sort of erode. And then you look at and so. It has become such a partisan issue because I do think there was a time when, at least, I could say that more so. It was more the case that both the left and the right at least sort of agreed on the on the on the fundamental on the fundamentals. Uh, I can't get that word out tonight. Now that's very much not the case, and uh, and that's appalling. I don't think it spells a, a good future uh, for that court, and because now you have you know they talk about packing the court and so on, right? Because that's how partisan it is, and because. Uh, we're at a point where that's how the left likes to get things passed that shouldn't be passed. Uh, despite all that, their talks about, you know, go democracy. We live in a democratic society, which we don't. Um, they're constantly trying to do things like pass abortion and gay marriage and so on through the Supreme Court because they don't want... Um, The people to have any say in their respective states. And so on both of those different issues, for example, we had different uh, rulings throughout the the states. We had different laws in different states as it pertained to that, and that wasn't good enough for the modern left. And so they decided to go ahead, and it wasn't really modern in the case of Roe versus Wade, you know, in the 70s, but in any case, it was an attempt at removing the rights of the people in their respective states, and that's, that's exactly what it was about. And then they that they dress it up as something else. Um. Anyway, okay, I do want to talk about um one last thing. Actually, let me go ahead and get her off screen. There we go. Um. I want to talk about something a, a little bit darker, actually, um, because I, I think we we lost. I think I get the impression that we lost a good man, and. It's not going to get the attention that it deserves um, because he's a person that the that the modern left um, reviews with contempt. So we lost a guy named Matthew Perna, um, and here he is. He was one of the protesters on January sixth. He recently, on January, oh sorry, on February twenty fifth, twenty twenty two, took his own life. He had been charged um, after entering the Capitol building on January 6th. I'll get to the details of that in a moment. Uh, the, he turned himself in, but uh, the case just kind of got pulled along and everybody seemed to turn against him as far as he could tell. He was very isolated as a result. Um, it seemed to him like the justice system and his community um, hated him. Uh, you can look up his obituary if you want. Again, his name uh, was Matthew Perna. So he's kind of like another another loss um, that took place after January 6th, right? Because, you again, the only deaths that took place on January 6th were caused by law enforcement against Trump supporters. They were the deaths of the Trump supporters. And now we have this extra death um, of Matthew. And the obituary, in his case, describes describes exactly what he was going through with regard to the persecution and the fact that there was like no seemingly end in sight, right? Um, the, The obituary said, and I'll just kind of take a few highlights out of this, His community, which he loved, his country and the justice system killed his spirit and his zest for life. Matt was an amazing man. Matt loved to travel, and lived in Thailand and South Korea during his life, teaching English to school children. He traveled extensively throughout Europe, Asia, South America, India and the United States of America, making lasting friendships everywhere he went. He went on a mission trip to Haiti and also took many trips with his parents and his brother Steve. Matt enjoyed winning long-distance races, held medals from various states. He enjoyed reading every day, owned an extensive library of books, he played the piano and the saxophone. He attended the rally on January 6, 2021, to peacefully stand up for his beliefs. After learning that the FBI was looking for him, he immediately turned himself in. He had entered the Capitol building through a previously opened door. He did not break in. He didn't break, touch, or steal anything. He did not harm anyone. He stayed within the velvet ropes, taking pictures. He attended Central Community Church in Transfer, Pennsylvania. He was a Christian who read his Bible daily. All right, so that kind of gives you an an outline of who he was, and I think who we've lost. I think that in so many of these different cases, um, we sort of lose the humanity inside of the, the statistics. You know, you, you hear about these different people. For example, those who are incarcerated, awaiting trial. Um, and we kind of lose who they, who they were and the life that they lived and the communities that they touched. And they still have like an amazing guy, um, who was quite accomplished and quite capable and so on. And he was pushed, you know, to a place of absolute despair. So I, all I can say is, you know, pray for him and for his family. Um, and, don't let people lose the humanity in these cases and don't forget about them. Again, this was Matthew Perner. He was 37 years old um, and he took his own life, uh, sadly, in dealing with this or in struggling to deal with this. And I think it's absolutely heartbreaking. I think we need more good people in this world and it sounds like he certainly was a good one. I'm so sorry to his to his family and, frankly, to all of us because, again, I think we need more good people and he was willing to go there and, and stand up. Um, but... But for a decent election and to respond to the call of the president of the united states at the time as everybody who's there did um, and all he did was enter the building through an open door and it's it's just it's it's tragic it really is okay um, let's uh, let's see it's 1106 so i am going to go ahead and end the show um, i will let you guys you know, go ahead and ask any last-minute questions. I don't want to kind of keep going over, like, way over, because I do want to do more, like, little shows. Um, I, again, I do think, there's, I don't think that's the direction that I, I ought to go into. Um, I know there are a lot of people who, who like that more, and I know that they, they, frankly, just have more reach, right? It just makes more sense. Uh, so I am going to end the show in just a, like, a couple of minutes. I'll go ahead and let you, like, if you've got any last, last questions, I'll go ahead and let you do that. Uh, yeah, I do think in that particular case it is blood on Biden's hands. Yeah, uh, and thank you for all the comments regarding the the studio. It's I've spent so much time like trying to figure out what I want to do with this. So I appreciate it. And no, I don't intend to stop the weekly shows. Um, I think that's value there's value in these kind of like social, um, these social gatherings. I, I like doing it. I know that a lot of you do. I, I hear comments from you and uh, get emails from you about about it. So yeah, I intend to keep doing these. I just want to, I want to provide really high quality uh, short videos in addition to it um, that people can share and which are sort of well articulated and so on. Not that these aren't, but you know what I mean. It's a live show. I do the best I can. Um, I do not have highlights in my hair. It's just, it's the natural, um, it's the natural hair color. Don't be weird. Um, Okay. And um, hold on. I keep trying to drink and then I keep talking. Um, well, I guess finally, I just wanted to thank you guys, actually, um, because this has been, it's been a long road. Like, you know, I spent six months in an environment that was not particularly comfortable and we made this work and you guys came and showed up in any case and it was actually really grounding and beneficial for me personally to do. And we kind of went through the news of the week and we're finally kind of getting to a place um, that is... I think good and I'm really grateful for the people who have supported the channel throughout this period that has not been my best content I'm just being honest here like there were some periods there it was not that great I was doing the best I could in the environment that I was in Um, and I keep and I will keep doing so and it it just I expect that from here onward uh, we should have something better and I'm really aiming for that so I appreciate those who <clears throat> donated to keep the show going, those who donated to help this this set, like like several of you on this unsubscribe star, like we're, we're amazing. So seriously, thank you. Also those who send messages, emails of encouragement, so that I didn't stop producing, and those who keep me in prayer, I I appreciate it all. Thank you so much. All right, well have a stellar night, okay? And I will see you next Thursday, but most likely before then with a few little shows, okay? And if you have topics you want to email me about, I do actually get the emails through, through my site, so you're always welcome to do that. Okay, guys. Have a wonderful night. Good night. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider helping to support it. You can give a one-time donation or buy a branded mug at TheCrusaderGal.com or you can donate monthly by searching for my name, Sarah Corrier, at Subscribestar. Thank you so much. I couldn't do this without your support. And whether you can help financially or not, Don't forget to tell your friends. Big Tech isn't going to help me spread the word. Thank you.